Hao, and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Whaley Grinache, who is a clarinetist, co-founder of 10th Wave Chamber Music Collective, and a member of Keown Wind Quintet, all based in the Twin Cities. She also is an adjunct clarinet faculty at Bethel University, and we'll be talking about watercoloring. Welcome, Whaley. Thanks for being here. Hi there. So... I feel like so many people that I know in the Twin Cities all really comes from Ari Isomura, who was a previous guest on the podcast. Mm -hmm. It was through asking me to perform with 10th Wave is how I feel like I really got to know you. Yeah, I think so. I think I've met everyone through Ari actually as well. I mean, Ari's great. So (laughs) she knows a lot of people and she's a great, great person. Yeah. And so I just, just in rehearsing together and performing together and playing all these really amazing pieces together, I just, we just developed a friendship over time and I just really enjoy my time performing with 10th Wave. So thank you for including me in all the projects that you do. Oh, I think we're really privileged to have you in our group. I remember when, (laughs) I I really think so. No, because actually I think I remember the first time we met was during Ari's birthday at the spa in St. Paul. And I remember her mentioning, oh, like Patty plays with Artaria Quartet and she's like this really great cellist and she might want to play with 10th Wave. And I remember Jorn and I and Ashley were all like, oh my gosh, she actually wants to play with us. <laughs> so we're truly excited that you've been willing to play with us well, yeah, in our past concerts. Absolutely. And I mean, thank you. That's very flattering. But I also, I love playing contemporary music and I find a lot of joy in exercising that muscle, let's say, because contemporary music is a very different approach to performing than any of the standard repertoire that we've gone through conservatory studying all the time Mm -hmm. so I just am really excited to be able to play any and all contemporary music because it's current and it's something that relates to who we are in today's world rather than a snapshot of a past a historic time period in in a sense to play anything of the standard repertoire yeah I I think so I never thought my life would kind of turn this way to playing more contemporary music but I love it I think it's challenging in so many ways and I feel like it's really helped me improve as a musician just crazy rhythms crazy sounds different way of approaching the music like you're saying and I absolutely love it I don't think I could imagine my life any differently it's awesome yeah Yeah, totally my funny story about you is not necessarily in 10th wave it's actually when you just gave birth to Elia how old is she now she's seven months she just turned seven months like three days ago oh happy belated month birthday (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's not a thing (laughs) (laughs) no it's a thing we celebrate every month oh okay okay You know, you gave birth and Ari, like the good friend she is, she was like, okay, I'm going to have all of Whaley's network. We'll schedule meals for them because they're going to be exhausted taking care of this newborn. And I was so excited. I love cooking. So I was excited to make my reservation on that calendar. I mean, it's not really funny, but it's just, I have very fond memories of trying to think of a menu for you. And I was like, oh, maybe they'd like poke. So then I asked, can you eat raw fish or all these things? And you're like, oh my God, I haven't had sushi in so long. So... (laughs) I remember just very fondly like whipping it up and then bringing it over to your house. And then you guys showed me Elia for the first time. And I was like, oh my God, she's so cute. And (laughs) just trading off the food was, I was like, oh, I feel so included in their family. It's so nice. Oh, I I loved it. We ate that so quickly because again, yeah, I hadn't had sushi for like, I don't know, over nine months. And it was the first time I had sushi since I was not pregnant. And it was amazing. I still think about it. Oh, okay. I'll make it for you again. (laughs) Yes, please. Okay, so you mentioned to me that your funny story about me actually was including one of my snails. So there's kind of a segue from the fish to snail world, I suppose. Oh, oof. (laughs) Well, this snail was not consumed, but... 
I think Ashley, our violinist in 10th Wave, was cat sitting and I think she was feeding sushi and I think feeding your fish and your snail. And I've always had kind of a aversion and not phobia, but like I'm a little terrified of snails. I've never liked snails ever. Like the way they just like crawl uh, against the glass wall. They're slimy. They're nasty looking. They give me the shivers. So she she sent me this video of your huge, freaking huge snail (laughs) climbing on the glass wall and just feeding it and it gave me the shivers so I think the first time I went over to your apartment I saw it and I couldn't even get near your fish tank (laughs) because it gave me the shivers I couldn't do it well you know here's the thing they have since passed so you can now come over and not be (laughs) not be afraid but yeah I had no idea you had such a strong phobia of snails yeah I don't like them I hated them in the fish tank I know they're necessary and they eat algae and whatever whatever but man I really really don't like snails (laughs) Okay, note to self. If I want Whaley to come over, I won't get any more snails in my aquarium. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) Instead, though, I have a giant placostomus, which is, you know, one of those algae eating fish, right? They kind of have the little guppy. So you might not like those fish, though. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) maybe I'll just steer clear of the fish tank then. Okay, that's fine. So moving over to the pet world, because mm-hmm. we were just talking about my fish and my fish tank and my cat sushi. You have a calico as well named yes. Lily. I can't believe we both have calicos. I don't know many people who have calicos. They're the best. Well, I, I love their coats because they're just so different and so colorful. And for people who don't know, calicos are actually a, they have like this genetic trait that. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I don't know the term. They're mostly only female. Yeah. yeah. It's something in the gene pool where they get one word weird chromosome thing happening and then that triggers them to be female but it also triggers their coats Mm -hmm. to be all that spotted coloring oh i didn't know that part yeah that's cool and so they're most of the time female there are some male ones and they're very rare and they're usually sterile because of this chromosome thing happening but then there are some that the very 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 rare male ones that are not sterile are super super expensive because it's such a rare cat to have interesting but i don't think they live very long lives is what I researched. Anyway, just some like cat facts, I guess. Wait, you're talking about male cats, right? Not yeah. Fem- okay, okay. So the female cats will live forever and ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because you kind of made my heart sink for a second there yes no well they won't live forever and ever but they'll have like a normal life (laughs) yeah i don't know i've always found that a very fascinating part of cat lineage and genetics and stuff and how unique our cats are in that way to be calicos Mm -hmm. anyway but what's your story on lily how did you get lily and how long have you had her how old is she lily is now let's see so i got her in august 2016 she'll be five this year so yeah that's quick i can't believe that so I got her in Michigan while I was attending University of Michigan, actually. I got her because I was pretty lonely. I was living kind of by myself for a little bit. So I decided to get a cat. And originally, I had my heart set on a black cat because I love the cat from Kiki's Delivery Service. The cute little cat who's friends with Kiki the Witch. And his name was Gigi, I think. Is that Miyazaki? Miyazaki film, yeah. So I had my heart set on a black cat. But of course, the one black cat that was at... So I adopted Lily from the Humane Society. And the one black cat that was there was not the friendliest cat so I decided to move on and then I saw Lily kind of at the edge of her cage and she didn't want anything to do with the other cats and she was just purring away when I was petting her through the cage and I completely fell in love and right away I wanted her so since then she's just been with us it's been interesting to watch her interact with the baby now are they developing a relationship together no (laughs) (laughs) no 
Um, who hates no. who? <laughs> Lily is not a fan of this baby. No. So the first night we brought Elia home, my parents and my sister were at our house. So Lily was already kind of on edge because she doesn't like strangers. As you kind of know, even though you're not even a stranger, she is pretty wary of anyone who isn't me or my husband. She was pretty aggressive and she didn't really like the baby being there. But as Elia got older and she started noticing Lily, she's in love with Lily. She wants to be the best of friends. She grabs her, um, but Lily could really care less and she wants nothing to do with her. Oh no! (laughs) Well, my hope is that when Elliot grows up a little bit more, Lily will adjust and they'll have a, I don't know. hope so. (laughs) I hope they'll be cuddle buddies. (laughs) Yeah, one day for sure. Well then, and can you tell me about Elliot and what was that experience? Like, I mean, geez, like congratulations also. (laughs) Thank you. Elliot is my seven-month-old daughter. She was born July 17th, so she is a co baby. Yeah, it was crazy actually giving birth in the time of COVID. I feel really lucky that I didn't have to give birth at the beginning of the pandemic because I know hospitals were actually limiting the number of people you could bring in. So I think a lot of mothers had to give birth alone, which is not not ideal. That's a hard experience. It's what, it's probably one of the hardest experiences you'll go through. Yeah. And to do it alone is awful. So I was really lucky that I got to have Bjorn there with me. Overall, it was, I mean, it was a pretty positive experience. Just strange not to have visitors and kind of having to limit visitors so that was hard but you know other than that she's been amazing during a pandemic like she's our bright beacon of hope and it's it's incredible motherhood and parenthood is an incredible experience it's one of the hardest things I've ever gone through but it's one of the most amazing things I've ever gone through and rewarding yeah I can't imagine Mm -hmm. I just have two quick questions I wanted to ask you because I mean for me I just I can't imagine what that's like I don't have a child of my own and you know I'm I'm a little nervous <laughs> what to expect in the future but they're both slightly silly but the first question is what was your weirdest craving that you got while you were pregnant oh I was obsessive over oranges I had to have oranges like every day and I, I loved oranges so are you sick of them now or do you still love oranges no I still love oranges oh wow okay <laughs> actually so does Elia she really loves oranges oh so th- maybe that was it yeah um, I think so okay so, so or- not a weird craving <laughs> no but that was like the consistent must have oh yeah oh yeah for sure okay and then what has been the most fascinating part of watching Elia grow well the most fascinating thing I I guess kind of watching her discover things for the first time I know it sounds really generic but you don't really notice all these small things until you start to see it through the lens of your child tasting food for the first time you know we're starting solids um, or we have been for a while but watching her eat an orange for the first time or eating banana for the first time and just watching her light up or hearing a new instrument. Ellie is actually in a music class right now. So kind of having her hear different instruments, singing, she loves it. And I would say having her listen to my husband and I practice, but she actually cries every time I practice. Oh no! (laughs) But she will fall asleep if she's in another room. We're really lucky to have a baby who will sleep through our practicing at night. Sure. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I I hope that she, I mean, I'm sure again, as she grows up, she'll know that the clarinet's a beautiful instrument. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, are you ready for some Spitfire questions? Sure, let's go for it. Okay, Mozart or Beethoven? Beethoven. Shostakovich or Prokofiev? Oh, I think Shostakovich. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Netflix or video games? Wow, I have to answer one or the other. Oh, geez. Netflix. <gasps> oh, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to say video games. Me too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's only because we sometimes play virtually, you know, together, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, that was a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> Basil or cilantro? Oh, geez. Cilantro. Harry Potter, Star Wars, or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter. What? <laughs> okay, well, that's because, okay, when Bjorn comes on to the podcast, I'm assuming mm-hmm. you will want to do so. Oh, um, he would love to. Yeah, I was assuming he was he was going to be Star Wars because you have so many Star... Okay, this is something else I, there. Well, yeah, I guess, oh, he's going to hate me so much when he hears this. <laughs> yeah, he, my husband Bjorn is a huge, huge Star Wars nerd. And I guess like kind of by relation, I guess I kind of like it, but I'm probably not into it as much as he is. I, I'd say Harry Potter is something I'm more interested in. Okay. That was a very diplomatic <laughs> Oops. No, no, I'll cut that. Don't worry. Symphony or chamber music? Chamber music. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite practice room? Wow, I think at Peabody, I actually really enjoyed practicing in the room where I had lessons. It was quiet. Nobody ever wanted to go in there because, yeah, I don't know. It just it was kind of dingy, but it was small. I don't know if this is funny or creepy, but there's a picture of my teacher that was hung on the bulletin board to my left. So I kind of felt like in a way he would watch me. And I guess that made me work a little harder. So yeah, I felt like my teacher was watching me when I practiced. So I practiced a little harder. So I think that was my favorite room. <laughs> I don't know if that's weird or what. Or that's also like such a subtle, amazing teaching technique to like make your students practice harder. Like, and it worked. It was just like, it's like one of those psycho, like a very passive way of saying like, I'm watching you. Well, it worked. It worked hard. (laughs) That's funny. Well, favorite professor shout out? I actually have to say my clarinet teacher in my undergrad, actually, Ixi Chen. She's been a huge role model, someone that I still look up to to this day. You know, she was the first teacher that looked like me and she was so entrepreneurial. She ran a chamber group in Cincinnati. She was doing really out of box things with classical music. She was really creative with the way she made music. And she's someone that I still look up to to this day. So teacher shout out to my professor, Ixi Chen. Yay! Most inspired musical hero of any genre? Queen. Yes! yes! <laughs> if you don't know, I, I love music from the 80s for whatever reason. I could listen to that all day. I know it's cheesy, but I love the synthesizer. I love it. I don't care. But Queen is probably one of my favorite musicians that I look up to. <laughs> Yay! I love that. Okay, I know this is now probably like the third time, but that slash Freddie Mercury is my answer to that question too. I just love that. They're they're just amazing. Yeah, they are amazing. Since we are both fans of Queen, what's your favorite song of theirs? Oh my gosh. I know it's not appropriate, but Fat Bottom Girls is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, I understand. It is that one did not lyric-wise did not age as well as maybe some others. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, obviously, under pressure is yes probably one of my favorites. No, that's an excellent, excellent song. I would say that's probably one of mine as well. <laughs> I also love the song "Somebody to Love." There's something about that that just oh. really like gets me. You know, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah, that is the A flat major too. I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> 
most transformative performance experience? Wow, you know, I actually think uh, most recently, I think it was probably 10th Wave when we did Jeffski coming together. I guess you put me on the spot. I think that that might have been one of the most transformative experiences just because it's kind of cool to see a vision come to life. This is a vision that the 10th Wave had worked on for so long and to hear it come to life was cool. And to hear Elwin, our narrator, just really kill it with his narration. He was amazing. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Yeah, so I think that might have been one of my transformative experiences I guess to I don't know to keep fighting to keep coming up with visions with our team and knowing that it's always possible whatever you dream is possible oh (laughs) I don't know No, totally. I also want to just do another little shout out to Ellen because he is one of the most docile, nice, warm human beings. Mm. But sometimes in his narration, he was so effective that he would scare the living daylights out of me as I'm playing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Because he had had to yell or he, it was up to his artistic decisions to do this. But some of the texts that he was narrating, Mm. he would emphasize more with anger, with frustration. And so that would really get me scared because he's like so nice. (laughs) I know. Yeah, he's such a warm-hearted individual. I don't know. He's one of those people where he can kind of speak softly, but you know that he has such weight to what he says sometimes. So yeah, hearing him kind of get that angry. I'm getting shivers thinking about it. He was insanely good. Exactly. Insanely good. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun to put that project together. I was a little nervous, frankly, before going into it because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of instructions that aren't as straightforward as maybe some other notational pieces are. So we had to kind of negotiate which notes to play and how to play and things like that but it's intended to be different each time a little bit so yeah again a piece that's a little bit more outside the standard box of how to approach a piece yeah well, I think we did pretty well I think so I, I hope so I actually played this piece at University of Michigan when I was there and the narrator was nowhere as good as Elwin that's for sure but I think it was kind of one of the first pieces maybe that made me really it really challenges you you don't think it's that hard but like holy cow is it hard to play a third 16th note correctly and while you're going really fast and you can't fall off the train because it's hard to get back on and holy cow that's hard yeah So just as a quick reminder, there is a Spotify playlist and all the pieces that are mentioned on each episode are put onto this giant playlist. So go and check it out if I can find it on Spotify. I think I can find the piece on Spotify. For sure. Yeah. All right. Next piece you'd like to learn? I actually have been trying, since the pandemic, I've been trying to find more unaccompanied clarinet solo pieces, especially by people of color. I am trying to challenge myself to find more diverse composers and know that because as a teacher, I want to be able to transfer that over. So one piece that I would like to learn eventually is Monologue by Chen Yi. And I actually bought the piece, so it's actually next on my list. But that's one piece that I'd like to learn. Another one would be the Clarinet Quintet by Samuel Coleridge-Taylor. I think that's, I I would really like to learn that one next. Okay, well, you did it. You made it through the Spitfire questions. Congratulations. Phew. (laughs) (laughs) So Whaley, can you walk me through your musical life? essentially can you tell me like how did you start in music how did you discover clarinet when did you decide to become a professional musician and can you walk us through your education and how you've landed it here in the Twin Cities yeah so I actually started clarinet when I was 10 I went to a private school that started students a little bit earlier on instruments and originally I had my heart set on flute and when we went to go try out instruments there was an instrument night at our school when I went to go try out the flute I could barely make a 
a sound because, oh my gosh, is it so hard to make a sound on the flute? So it didn't work out. So the teacher gave me the clarinet and I tried out the clarinet and it just felt really easy. And I, I was so excited. And I still remember the first day that I got my first plastic clarinet and I brought it home. I put in my VHS of how to play the clarinet for beginners. Oh, no. <laughs> VHS too. I love that reference. <laughs> no, I was so excited. I put it on and I was so excited to learn like the first couple of notes. And I think since then, I think I just always knew I wanted to be a musician. I always knew that I wanted to make music. I never had a coming of moment, I guess. I just kind of always knew this is what I wanted to do. So, you know, play clarinet through school. And then I went to the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music in Cincinnati, Ohio. And that's where I studied under Xi Chen, who I still really look up to today. And then after that, I did my master's at Peabody and studied with Anthony McGill, who was also another really huge figure in my life. He really kind of shaped the way I hear sound, the way I play. He really just redefined the way I sound, I think. So he was super influential. Actually, Peabody is where I met my husband, Bjorn, who is a percussionist and co-founder at 10th Wave as well. And then after that, I went off to the University of Michigan for us, kind of an artist diploma at their school. Actually, a lot of people don't know this because I don't talk about it a lot, but I actually only went there for one semester. Kind of at the end of the first semester, I just realized I wanted to do more with music. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to do things outside the box. I was a little bit tired of school. I was tired of people telling me what to play. And I wanted to decide what I wanted to play and do more with music. I've always felt that music needed to be more. We need to do more to reach out to non-musicians. Mm-hmm. So that kind of drove me to leave and seek something to do something on my own. And that's kind of what led to me, Bjorn, Ari, and Ashley connecting to make 10th Wave. So that's so, kind of my musical journey. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So yeah. How did you move back to the Twin Cities? Because we're uh, geographically speaking, I, <laughs> I just knew that you stopped one semester and then you're... Good question. So like I mentioned earlier, I met Bjorn, my husband at Peabody. We both left school after one semester after Peabody. He was at Cleveland State and he left after one semester. I was at University of Michigan. I left after one semester. My husband is actually from the Twin Cities and we both kind of decided that would be a good starting point. So that's how I made my way here. Okay. So you just decided to kind of settle back into, it wasn't necessarily Mm -hmm. for a job or anything. No, no. It was to have a fresh start somewhere new. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's also like you're closer to a family unit and the Twin Cities has a lot of musical opportunities Mm -hmm. and it has a lot of support from the community. So it also is a really great starting point for any ensemble or any kind of creative idea that might come Mm -hmm. out. So it makes sense to start your roots here. Yeah, you can handle the snow, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's been (laughs) that's been challenging. (laughs) Okay, so now you're in the Twin Cities and you co-founded 10th Wave. Did you simultaneously join Keon as well? Or how did you join that group? Yeah, so Keon, when I moved back to the Twin Cities, I connected with a flute player that I had gone to school with at CCM in Ohio. And she was a part of Keon Quintet at the time. And their clarinetist had just left and they needed a sub to play in a recital that they had down in Northfield. So they called me and I think this was maybe the fall of 2017 when I first moved there. So I played with them and played with them in a couple other gigs and it was around the end of December, kind of around the time I started 10th Wave with everybody else. And that's kind of how I got to join Keon. Okay. 
So with Keon Quintet, can you tell me about what you do with the Quintet in the cities? Yeah. So with Keon, we've done a lot of really incredible educational things that I really love doing with them. When I first joined, we actually went on tour all around, I think, Southeast or Southern Minnesota to about 36 libraries, I think, in elementary schools. It was awesome because, you know, it was my first year in Minnesota and I got to see like all of Minnesota in one year almost. So we perform in quite a few libraries performing musical stories, which is really fun. I love doing that with young kids. We perform stories basically and we kind of narrate the story in between the music and we kind of talk about our instruments. And I think it's a really engaging way for young children to learn about music in a really accessible way you know they're not having to sit in like a stuffy concert hall and they're not told to sit still in fact they're encouraged to move around because it's a library and they get to listen to a fun story with instruments and I absolutely love doing that so since then we've done probably two more tours and even online videos so we've toured up north kind of around Arrowhead Regional Library area in Duluth and Two Harbors so we've done that we've done solo recitals featuring female composers that's also kind of the mission of Keon is to feature female composers as an all-female woodwind quintet so it feels really empowering to do something like that oh i mean yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) can you just briefly for anyone who might be curious and not know what a wind quintet is can you describe the instrumentation of course so woodwind quintet consists of five different instruments the flute clarinet bassoon french horn and oboe it's just the five of us and i think what's fun about a wind quintet which is unlike a string quartet is that you guys have all these auxiliary instruments so you can actually expand your color palette further than maybe just a string quartet which is we're just stuck with our instruments I mean I love string quartet I'm not (laughs) I'm just saying like you know as a string player we're just we can do other textures on our instruments but we can't expand and play on different kinds of instruments yeah it's pretty cool because the flute can play the piccolo I play two different clarinets not that that's really a huge texture but yeah it's kind of cool to play around with different instrumentation I mean I guess I let's focus on the clarinet for a second too I mean so there's the standard b flat tuning clarinet there's also an a tuning clarinet so these are just instruments that are pitched these frequencies am i right oh yeah yeah so the the b flat clarinet is kind of the standard clarinet you see in any band or anything like that the a clarinet is pitched slightly lower and it's a little bit darker i think a lot of composers like to use that instrument just for a different sound texture actually color texture yeah and do you use that more in a symphonic situation or do the composers specifically say no use this clarinet it's actually used both in symphonic and chamber settings and some pieces are specifically written for a clarinet actually um, because the composer is looking for a certain sound in the clarinet and also I think the clarinet can go a little bit lower but yeah it's specifically written out and then there's also a bass clarinet which similar to a cello you get an end pin which is fun (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah sometimes there are some quintets that use bass clarinet yeah and then there's also an e-flat clarinet so there's like this giant collection Mm -hmm. family of clarinets that you can are there any of the clarinets I forgot about or I mean a, a couple obscure ones but yeah that's mostly it yeah we got the e flat we got b flat a and bass clarinet is there another bass bass clarinet yeah there's the contrabass and i feel like there's an even lower one than that oh my God. um and then there's like a obscure alto clarinet which I don't, it's not called for very often but it's there okay <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Using that as an example, yeah, you probably wouldn't have any of those really, really obscure ones, but you have so many other different sounds and your repertoire can include all those different instruments. And unlike a string quartet, every instrument in a wind quintet is a unique sound. Mm-hmm. So so returning to 10th Wave, Chamber Music Collective, are there any upcoming projects to look forward to 
in that ensemble. Of course, yeah. I think this is one of the most exciting years for 10th Wave. And I think we're so lucky because in a pandemic, we have been given so many opportunities. Like you kind of mentioned, Minnesota has a lot of opportunities and support from our community here. And because of that support, we're able to put on three to five different programs. I'm probably missing some here. But our next program is coming up in June, actually, or it will be, we're working on it April and May, but it'll be released probably around June or so. But that one is probably one of my personal favorite projects that we're going to release is this is a concert that features pieces by all Asian American composers and is paired with original dance choreography by a Japanese ballet dancer in the Twin Cities, Yuki Takuda. I'm so excited for this program because 10 wave is led mostly by Asian Americans and to perform and feature pieces that celebrate people of our background is amazing. I'm so excited for this project. So that'll be coming out in June. We'll also be working with Spitting Image Collective. We'll be performing pieces that have been written by Catherine Bergman, Daniel Nuss, Joe Horton, and Josh Clausen. So that'll be coming out in June as well. And then this summer we'll be performing three different outdoor concerts, just premiering pieces pieces by local Minnesota composers and even composers beyond that. So lots to come, lots of things to be excited about. Yeah, I'm itching to play. So (laughs) (laughs) we're so excited. And just before we take a break, I wanted to quickly ask you about your involvement with Bethel University. Yeah, I'm currently the adjunct clarinet faculty there. I teach students that are taking this kind of as a extracurricular. So they're not major students, but they're really advanced enough that we get to play some standard repertoire and even new repertoire repertoire this year. So I'm having some of my students play pieces by William Grant Still, who's a really fantastic composer, and De Rivera. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're a really great group to work with. I'm assuming you've had to teach virtually since the pandemic. I I mean, especially as a woodwind player, I can't imagine how difficult it must be for you to be able to not really go out and perform because you have to, of course, play without a mask. Have you encountered any ways of overcoming any of that kinds of obstacles? Not really. It's been a hard year teaching online, but I think what's hardest is that I crave the personal connection that I get with my students. I miss playing duets with them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so hard. I can't do that over a computer. So it's it's been a hard year. I don't know that I've necessarily overcome anything. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think I've just been trying to be a pillar of support for them, trying yeah. to check in with them, see how they're doing, give them a break if they need to. That's what I've been trying to do mainly as a teacher. That question was a little bit loaded. I didn't mean it to be that heavy. (laughs) But I mean, I think that what is really important, even though online teaching is so difficult, is it's still showing up and still being there for your students as what you're saying, you know, and trying Mm -hmm. to keep working through this really troubling time. Because I mean, music Mm -hmm. is something that keeps us together, you know, as even if we still have to be distant or through a screen. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, on that note, do you want to take a break? (laughs) Sure, sounds good. (laughs) Okay, Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back from the break. So before the break, Sushi got a little hungry, so I had to give her a little bit of food. So I think she's happily eating. Yes. Anyway, on a completely separate note, watercoloring. Very different. (laughs) Yeah. How did you get into watercoloring? So I kind of mentioned this to you earlier when you kind of first started coming up with your podcast and I kept hearing about all these musicians who had different activities. I kind of had this thought in the back of my mind, like, you know, Wiley, you should probably find an activity for yourself too. (laughs) And when I was 
was younger, I was just never really taught the importance of self-care, you know, having something for yourself. So this was kind of sitting in the back of my mind. And then, you know, I was pregnant. So I kind of forgot about everything because pregnancy brain. One second, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I just was, I've heard that pregnancy brain is like a real thing. And I remember when talking to you during your pregnancy and Bjorn just, it was like, yeah, she's just like, sometimes she just does not know what's going on. (laughs) It's true. I heard about this too in the past and I didn't think anything of it. And then I got pregnant and I got pregnancy brain and it's a real thing. Holy cow. You kind of go into this fog where you don't remember things. You forget things here and there. And I probably don't remember half the things that happened towards the last three months, to be quite honest. Wow. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, I wonder if it's just lack of sleep. You just really get a lack of sleep in the last trimester. Yeah, I just don't know what it is, but yeah, crazy pregnancy brain. Yeah, but anyway, but so so you were pregnant, (laughs) and you were. Thank you also for listening to the podcast. But I mean, but you're so continue what you were saying. Yeah. So after I gave birth, to kind of go into a darker note, I had some really bad postpartum. Mm -hmm. I was dealing with postpartum depression, and it kind of led me to seek therapy. And during my therapy session. I was given homework to literally not do anything for 20 or 30 minutes and to just find self-care. Like I mentioned, I was never really taught the importance of it. So I decided for my homework, I would do watercoloring. And it was something that I was already kind of interested in. I kind of dabbled with it, but I never made time to sit down for 30 minutes and only watercolor and think about zero things. So as part of my homework, it kind of sparked this hobby, I guess, to start watercoloring. And I've always liked drawing as a child. I love to draw. I used to draw all the time and sketch things. So I thought maybe this would be a nice creative outlet that had no purpose, no goal, purely enjoyment. Well, creative purpose, certainly. I mean, creating something out of nothing. That's true. Yeah. But I, I just want to give you some credit. That's all. <laughs> I guess it was the first thing that it wasn't supposed to be beneficial. It wasn't supposed to be something to advance myself, I guess. I it was see. just pure enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. So why not acrylic or oil painting? What is it about watercoloring that you were interested in yeah I think it was you know, I see pictures or YouTube videos of watercoloring and I thought it was pretty, you know, I don't really have any substantial reason why. But now that I've kind of done more watercoloring, I kind of like that it's really forgiving. Actually, you don't have to be super great. You know, I'm not great at watercoloring, but it's very forgiving. I like how, you know, if you paint different colors through, sometimes they'll melt in the water and creates a whole different color. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, you can always change it with extra water or something. It's very forgiving. Yeah, I get that. I also like watercolor as well. I haven't done it in a really long time, but I also remember, I mean, this is sorry to interject into your story, but I also (laughs) remember once experimenting with putting salt on the watercolor because it would would create different textures. Okay. So I'm holding up this picture that I made when I was an undergrad, when I was doing some watercoloring and I tried putting salt over the sandy part of the beach of the sandpiper that I'm holding up. You know, over time, it doesn't really show up anymore, but back then it kind of had these little spots on there. And I thought that was a kind of cool texture. I'm going to try that the next time I watercolor now. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> but that's like something that you can't really do with acrylic paint or anything like that, right? Because since it is something water-based, there's mm-hmm. things that, you know, very small chemically things that you can do, like add salt or whatever to add <laughs> some texture. But anyway, okay, I'm sorry. So where are you in your watercoloring discovery? Like, what do you like painting? Is it mostly like landscapes or is it still life? Is it contemporary, like blotches of colors or... Landscaping is probably my favorite. I usually follow some kind of YouTube tutorial just to get an idea. Bob Ross? But... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I should. <laughs> well, he doesn't do he doesn't do watercolor though, but <laughs> 
yeah, I just kind of follow a YouTube tutorial or my mother-in-law actually gave me a subscription to Creative Bug to oh. get me started as well. So I've kind of been experimenting with different color shades and textures and things like that. But landscaping is probably my favorite. Although my last session, I think I attempted some Totoro paintings. Oh. Um, so I attempted to draw some Totoro into my painting and that was kind of fun. Uh-huh. It combined my love of art, just sketching plus painting. That was kind of fun. So do you normally sketch it out as you just said sketching so you normally sketch it out with pencil and then you paint over that or is it kind of a free-formed vision that comes to you as you're painting Mm, both I guess if it's landscape it's somewhat free form I don't sketch anything out I just go with it and hope that it turns out okay but with my venture into more cartoon-ish watercoloring I guess I did sketch a little bit more so I'm kind of excited to go that route because I really love Hayao Miyazaki characters (laughs) (laughs) I mean they're pretty cute yeah they are so since you started this hobby how many paintings have you made wow I think I've made 10 to 15 or so I have a whole stack that I kind of need to file away or somehow display I don't know Actually, none of them are good enough to display, but I'd like to put them in some kind of binder to look at. Oh my God. Why, well, literally my reason to do art is, I'm sorry, here I am talking about myself again. <laughs> I grew up in a house where we had white carpet, white ceilings, white walls, white doors, white furniture. Ooh. So I feel very oppressed by the color white. <laughs> And my family is very aware of this. So it's not like I'm... So my whole adult life, I have tried my best to escape the museum feel of my house (laughs) growing (laughs) up. If you look, you can see my walls are painted. You know, they're painted green. And literally the reason Mm -hmm. why I paint is to put something on the wall. So it's not like I'm just living in a sterile environment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) So I'm saying like, I don't think I'm a great artist, but maybe you should give yourself more of a break. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe one day I'll hang something up if it's good. (laughs) enough. If someone were like you listening to your episode and was curious about starting watercoloring, what materials would you suggest for a good beginner set? Oh boy. Okay. I hope there are no artists that listen to this because they're going to hate me because I know zero things. I just, the thing is, I just went on Amazon and bought a watercolor set oh, okay. that came with watercolor paper, a couple brushes and a paint set. And then I got gifted some more things. So honestly, I have no idea, but from what I've dabbled in, I think getting a really good set of watercoloring paints is really important instead of just getting the Crayola. The, yeah. Like Crayola color palette that comes in like the circles. I think having really pigmented coloring is really good because you really have a wider range of colors that you can do. You can go really dark, really pigmented, or you can go super, super, super light. So that's really important. And painter's tape is super important too, to kind of create those nice edges on the paper. What? Oh, I didn't know what painter's tape is. Really? What is that? Yeah. It's like that blue tape painter's tape. Like if you're going to paint your wall. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) You use that though in watercoloring? I do. Yeah. Because, you know, you want to have like those nice sharp edges on the side of your pages as you paint and that way you don't have just kind of freeform landscaping that kind of drips off on the side you have like nice clean edges oh I just well I just was a mess I was a mess I just was like <laughs> I think this is straight <laughs> no that's me super OCD type A need to have everything contained in a box no not no I mean that's actually just intelligent is what that is <laughs> 
is there anything in the process of watercoloring to you that like I know it was an assignment as part of therapy and getting through this postpartum depression but Mm -hmm. as you were doing it what was something that you discovered for yourself in addition to your self-care well I don't think watercolor really changed anything super significantly I think it was the act of self-care it's just the act of sitting down no goals to benefit myself or move myself forward it was purely sit down clear your mind don't think about anything and just paint I think that's kind of what I learned was that you deserve the self-care you deserve time to sit and clear your mind and do something that will benefit nobody and not advance you anywhere but just so here's the thing though like at the same time to me that just sounds like it's a way of recharging your battery sort Mm -hmm. of thing right yeah but you're saying that it doesn't benefit you but actually it does because you're actually just taking time to zone out that's true yeah I guess so I guess I meant like I'm not painting to advance myself or anything like that I I totally understand what you're saying but maybe it's just how musicians maybe perceive ourselves all the time as trying to work 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 and do the next thing and get this much better at that passage or whatever but then actually just taking a moment to like chill and do an activity that yeah as you say won't really benefit your career or won't benefit anything it's just an outlet yeah yeah actually that's a really great way to put it I think as musicians we tend to try to better ourselves in so many aspects of life which is really positive it's a great quality to have and I think sometimes it's okay to just sit and not try to do that but yes you're right the benefit of doing this I do have the benefit of recharging myself and I think that was the most valuable thing that I got out of therapy was that if I don't recharge myself I have nothing to give to my baby you know Mm -hmm. I have nothing to give to her and so self-care is super super important especially now being a parent I understand why it's so needed has Elia tried doing any watercoloring is she able to do anything yet oh boy no (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I would trust her she maybe one day I would love to do that with her and just paint with her yeah. but for now she'd probably try to eat the paint <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's not have that no that's not good no, no. <laughs> are you hopeful that this is a hobby for you that will continue on or maybe just doing this exercise now is something that is a good indication of finding other hobbies that will get you to that same kind of self-care moment of zen I would actually love to continue with this reawakening this art that I really enjoyed as a kid now as an adult is really fun. I want to get better. I want to be able to kind of freehand draw things and not watch YouTube tutorials all the time. That's kind of my goal. I'd love to just sit maybe at the cabin this summer and just paint a scene freehanded or paint more cartoon characters. Yeah, I'd love to get better and figure out how to use colors a little bit better and how to transfer what's in my vision to paper. So I'd yeah. love to continue with this. Yeah, you should paint Lily too. Oh boy, it shall sit still, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any artists that you follow for our listeners to be inspired? Oh boy. I don't really follow anyone in particular, but I would recommend checking out Creative Bug. They have some really cool beginner classes on there where I got to learn how to kind of mix colors a little bit better, how to find different shades within one color. So there's a lot of really great beginner classes on there. So I'd highly recommend that if anyone's interested in watercoloring or really any other kind of art, I think they even have like knitting or crocheting classes or something. Oh, I needed to get on that. Okay. I look forward to watching you grow and develop in your watercoloring. And I'm so glad that it's an outlet for you to, again, like kind of find that Zen moment and find that recharge moment and also find that moment for yourself. As you're saying, it's something that I think often we overlook from culture to culture. And again, especially as musicians, we're so ambitious that sometimes we get exhausted and burnt out from that. And we need just a moment to do something without needing to prove anything to anybody just for our own. Mm -hmm. enjoyment so I look forward to seeing what happens thanks
Me too. Can I ask you two final questions? Sure. What, in your opinion, is the most common misconception of classical music and the classical music world? I think the most common misconception is that classical music is only for the elite or for someone who's super smart or someone who's super quote unquote cultured, whatever that means. Classical music needs to be for everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what background you are, it is for everybody. It should be designed for everybody. Maybe that's a misconception. I'm just trying to think of ways to make it less like only for the quote unquote elite. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder why there is such well I mean I guess people could always say socioeconomic status and just accessibility to instruments accessibility to getting mm-hmm. lessons and those sorts of things but always kind of wonder like why is it so targeted I think for so long because of cost you know that's a really huge barrier if you can't afford to go to a concert you know why go why go spend $50 to hear something that you're not really interested in where you have to sit still and you have to dress nicely or people will look at you funny I think there's just a lot of barriers and And same with instruments, you know, if you don't have the funding to rent an instrument, to pay for lessons, those are all barriers. And I hope that we can all, as musicians and people who are really passionate about this, I hope we can take down those barriers eventually. Especially with 10th Wave, we've really tried to make tickets not a factor. They're all free. Our concerts are free. And we hope that people donate so that other people can come for free. And the cost is not a barrier. Yeah, I think it's just so ingrained in our society that classical music is just for the quote unquote elite and for people who are more cultured and things like that. And I think if we just kind of erase that, if we took away dress codes or we took away costs, we took away all these barriers, it could be something for everybody. I certainly hope so. And that's great about 10th Wave, that it's pay what you will or what you can. I hope that that becomes more of the wave of our future for organizations and how we take it, because I think that is a more holistic way of gathering our audiences rather than ticket sales and crunching numbers and stuff like that. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. We'll see. I hope so. And I know it's kind of controversial to say this because I know people think classical music should be live and I I agree it should be live but I also kind of see this pandemic as sort of an opening for a new route of classical music possibly where things can be streamed online more and I agree that it's not the same as a live concert but I also wonder if that would open the avenue for people who have the barrier of transportation I know that's a really big thing maybe someone really wants to go see a concert but they can't get to the concert or they don't have someone to bring them I kind of do see online concerts as a way to reach more people people. I know that's a little controversial. Well, no, but you also, I was literally about to ask you this question after all the impact that COVID has done to classical music. What do you think is something positive that will enhance and carry on in our profession? (laughs) Unless there's another response to that one. I mean, I think it's just funny how you, you were ahead of the, (laughs) you predicted (laughs) Oops. Yeah, I think the pandemic has challenged us in a lot of ways. And I I don't want to say positive because this has not been positive for anyone. But I think it has challenged us to find ways to connect with more people. And I think online concerts, online lessons are going to be a thing. I don't think that's really going to go away. I think it is a way to reach people. Well, yeah. And if I think historically as well, I mean, the last time we had a, obviously, we've never had a pandemic wipe out this entire world. It's been Mm -hmm. more in regions, But if we think about this is the first pandemic where not only is it actually affecting literally everyone in the world, but it's Mm -hmm. also the first time that we are able to connect still over the internet and with technology. 
versus the other times, you know? And I think that has awoken our relationship to technology, our relationship to connecting with community. That is exactly what you're saying. And I think that Mm -hmm. as much as we do want to go back to how life was, I think we've all woken up to that. This is an integral part of building our audience and building our community around us. I think it would be ignorant to think that we would ever go back to an old normal. Yeah, Yeah. I think the world is going to change in a lot of ways after this. My hope is that more groups will find this as a way to reach more people who maybe don't want to go trek out, maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable going to a classical music concert. You know, so what if you sit in your sweats and drink a beer and watch a concert online? Why not? I, and I don't you can know. turn it Why off not? at any point too. Yeah. If you don't like it, then turn it off. Hopefully right. you don't, but. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. But it gives more choice to the consumer. I think so. I hope people can feel more comfortable about watching classical music. It doesn't have to be such a strict thing. I That's personally kind of my view is I hope we can kind of take away these things. I hope we can take away the silence. Why not cheer if the cellist made like a really awesome solo? Why not? What's so wrong with that? Yeah. I hear you. Anyway, are there any platforms or websites for listeners to learn more about you or any of upcoming projects? Yeah, definitely check out 10thwave.org to see what we've been up to. Kionquintet.org. You can kind of check out what my woodwind quintet is up to as well. All right. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, go ahead and press that subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The reviews and ratings really do help this podcast be more visible to others. And it's a free way to support the podcast. Another free way is to tell friends and family about it. And you can always become part of the Hide in Behind the Music Stand family by donating to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash hide in music stand. Don't forget, there's a Spotify playlist available that contains all the pieces we've discussed on the podcast. It's all really great music. And the link is always in the description of each episode. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Hide Music Stand for more content. Whaley, thank you so much for taking some time during Elia's nap and sharing your passion for watercoloring. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on here. This is really fun. Yay, good, good, good. I'm excited. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. Say bye, sushi. You know, I just, sorry, I just had this like moment of realization and it's totally tangential from what you're talking about because I want to ask more about Keon. But I realized Mm -hmm. that we both moved to the Twin Cities around the same time. Did we really? Yeah, that's why I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Wait, that's crazy. Yeah, oh, I, moved wow. here, I moved here in like late July 2020, uh, 2017. Wow, I moved like May 2017. Yeah, like <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I wish we would have connected earlier. Well, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> wow. Well, it was, it's like weird fate. I just feel like sometimes, I mean, and again, I don't know, we'll probably cut this out, but like, I just, it's like such weird fate of how all, like, I mean, because I know that Ashley also was like, she didn't really know, she knew Aerie. But like, I don't know, just like this whole, the storm that was about to be 10th wave was like brewing for, so I don't know, it's just kind of fun to think about. It's super fun to think about. Um, Actually, I don't know if you know, Ari and Bjorn actually knew each other in high school. Mm -hmm. They, They had the same percussion teacher. And that's kind of how I connected with Ari and the three of us kind of connected and then we connected with Ashley when we needed a violinist Mm -hmm. for our first concert and Mm -hmm. yeah it it kind of felt like fate I don't know (laughs) (laughs) 